0: This episode originally was going to feature Wynton Marsalis, but the events of this past weekend has caused us to shift. Welcome to Straight Ahead, the Omni American Podcast. This is a special edition of our podcast featuring uh, my co-host Arye Tepper, who is in Israel and experienced in Ophakim the horrific, evil actions of the Hamas organization. Before we go to Aryeh, I want to say that he and I are fellow co-directors of the Omni American Future Project, which is the foundation for this podcast. And the Omni American Future Project is a collaboration among the Jazz Leadership Project, my organization, the American Sephardi Federation, where Aryeh works and the combat anti-semitism movement the omni-american future project is non-partisan that doesn't mean that we will not take stands on issues we're also us-centric for the most part but this evil extends to where we live in terms of our humanity and our relationships so i want to give arye an opportunity to share what actually occurred the weekend that this horrific attack happened.
1: Right. Uh, Thank you very much, Greg. And um, please, as I'm sharing details, stop me at some point if you have a question or a remark. I should probably uh, clarify for our viewers. um, I'm coming to you, yes, from from I'm I'm an American expat intellectual, right, and writer. Thomas Chatterton Williams happens to be sitting in Paris I'm coming to you from the, the holy city of Ofakim. And part of what I'd like to share with you today and with our viewers and listeners is just the astounding humanity and the amazing stories that have emerged here in Ofakim uh, over the past uh, few days. So just to frame it a little bit, uh, Ofakim is a small town, 25 minutes away from the Gaza Strip, uh, the Mediterranean coast, the Gaza Strip. Founded in 1955, there are 30,000 inhabitants. The original inhabitants who still constitute the old hardcore of the city are mostly Jews from North Africa, Morocco, and Tunisia. I live in a neighborhood which is an old neighborhood here in Ofakim. Saturday morning, 5.30 in the morning or 6.30 in the morning, I'm on my sofa, and it's Shabbat morning, so I'm off the grid. I, I observe which is called Shabbat, the Sabbath on Friday night, Saturday. So I have no media communication, no telephones. We're off the grid. And we hear booms outside. My daughter is awakened by the booms. She comes out and we open the window and we're looking and you can see these sparks of the Iron Dome missiles in the distance lighting up as they hit the missiles coming in. And we're used to this. Uh, We're thinking this is just another round of a missile attack and even in the past two rounds, they didn't fire any missiles at Ofakim. We saw the missiles, but we didn't get fired at. So we're anticipating a regular Shabbat holiday. This was also a holiday, the conclusion of the Jewish high holidays, a holiday called Simchat Torah, the joy of the Torah. And we are anticipating a regular Shabbat and holiday just in the shadow of booms in the distance. That we, But then a few minutes later, we start to hear what sound like firecrackers, fireworks. And we hear them outside, outside, and we're thinking to ourselves, these are foolish teenagers. Part of Simchat Torah is kind of a jubilant, uh, a celebratory spirit that sometimes oversteps its boundaries. And like all right, who there are just some foolish teenagers outside throwing, you know, putting, setting off fireworks. Seven in the morning, but then the fireworks don't stop. They just keep going. And you realize pretty quickly, those aren't fireworks. Those are gunshots. And... For the next three or four hours, you're hearing outside the window, beneath the window, in the neighborhood, in the meantime, there's a missile barrage, and we are descending to the bomb shelter in the basement of the building and ascending. When we descend, we're looking out the front door into the street, making sure that there are no Hamas members waiting for us to come down the steps and pick us off. As we walk down the steps to and the, it's a glass door, so there's no it's not like there's a the door is protected and then you head into the bomb shelter and you close the 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 heavy duty door and the heavy duty window, and you wait the amount of time that you have to wait reascend to the apartment for around the first first fifteen or twenty minutes. there was no police or army to be seen, and that was probably the the most that the 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 lack of clarity and and the and the the fact that there are terrorists running around firing and there doesn't seem to be any police or army that was the that was those were some 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 frightening moments uh i wanted to call my daughters my two daughters were at home with me for shabbat miriam who's 15 and yael who's 13 i opened i wanted to show them that there were civilians who who Took their arms and they themselves initiated engagement, and were fighting with the terrorists. So I opened the window and pointed at some neighbors outside who were armed to show my daughters that they're protecting us. And the, the, he looked, we, we made eye contact and he made the motion to me closure. He didn't say this in English, but close your window. Uh, around nine o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call. If the phone rings. It's from my son, Michael, who's 20 years old. Both of my sons, Daniel and Michael, 19 or 20 and 20, serve in the Israeli Defense Forces. Uh, I am proud beyond belief uh, um, for both of them, that they take years out of their life to give to something beyond themselves Make, makes me immeasurably proud of both of them. Um, Michael calls me. And he uh, says, Abba, there are terrorists outside wearing IDF uniforms. Don't open the door for anyone. Make sure the windows are closed. This intensity lasts until around one o'clock, and then it starts to peter out. They're still firing. There's still missiles, but at lesser intervals until Shabbat goes out. This whole time, I'm making sure my daughters are not on the phones, we're not reading any rumors, we're not looking at any videos, we were disconnected. Well, we had the channel open to an emergency channel if there was anything that, that we needed to know, but we were not engaged with media if possible. At this time, I later learned there was an amazing story taking place one block down, one block over and a little up the street. and uh, and. I'd like to tell that story real quick. It's been in, it's been in the news. There's, the people of Ofakim are amazing, wonderful people. They have amazing hearts. I'm continually amazed when I, when I come across this very deep humanity, warmth, and love. One block over and up the road, terrorists commandeered the house of David and Rachel Edri. Five terrorists inside their house. They took them as hostages. At the end of the day if you want to flip if we're going to if we jump to the end of the movie in this particular case all five ma- terrorists ended up dead Rachel Edry and and David survived how did it happen the five terrorists were in their apartment and Rachel says and and, and Greg this in my to my thinking is almost modern biblical Rachel says that she, that she saw them and they knew they were going to die When you're dealing with jihadi radicals, they are not just embracing death, they are sometimes pursuing it from a religious motivation. They knew they were going to die. However, they're still 19, 20, 20, 22, 23-year-old men. And she said, I saw at this moment, they're missing their mothers. I don't think that there was something conscious on their ends, but she—that's just a basic human, we respond to motherly love. And so she plied them with coffee and cookies, and she assumed the motherly role. This is this is so amazing. And she, she they, they played games where they would say they would teach Rachel a word in Arabic. She would teach them a word in Hebrew. They would listen to music. They have their weapons. They're ready to kill. How long did this go on for? This went on for a number of hours into the morning of Sunday. I don't know what time it exactly ended. Wow! Wow! Rachel, at the same time, this is this is heroism of a different wisdom. uh, 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 um, Staying calm under pressure. Uh, So many.
0: It's an understatement. It's an understatement. Yeah,
1: uh, absolutely an understatement. Now another dimension to the story is her son was one of the policemen outside, waiting to Bard to come in and save her. Her fa- her children were outside among the force. At one point, Rachel communicated to the police with a face gesture. They wanted the police needed to know how many terrorists are inside, and she went like this, apparently signaling five. So after she managed to reach their humanity, and save herself and her husband. She created the context for justice to be done in this situation and for the police to storm. And they were going to kill, still they were going to kill Rachel and David, and David, Rachel and David, when the opportunity came. They weren't there just to die, but the police came first thanks to Rachel's conduct, and they stormed the, the house and they killed all of the, the terrorists.
0: I could imagine some watching and say, well, they were you know there were kidnappings, hostages were taken. How do you know they weren't gonna take them hostage? It may I think is kind of a silly question, but I do want to to ask it. Because you keep saying that they intended to kill. Maybe they intended to kidnap them.
1: If they're sitting inside the home and surrounded by the Israeli police, how do they how do you how do you
0: Oh, they knew they were surrounded.
1: Oh no, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't make that clear. The police oh, were surrounding the house. They okay. knew they were surrounded. They weren't just I see. Got it. They weren't there's no chance they're taking wow. the gaze that,
0: To me, <laughs> to me, that advances it. So if they knew they were surrounded, they could have followed through with that intention. And then, you know, uh you, you talk about the jihadi, you know, uh giving their lives for the cause. I'm sure I know that there are specific names for this. That's that is something, but that's not the only story to tell. You mentioned your sons.
1: Then I spoke with my son Michael, who had come home, and Michael told me what he, and I, under, I I'll, he told me the following morning the complete story, but this is the story that, he that that he shared with me that morning. Michael was at home at his mother's, and he received news that in a house there was shooting. Buy a house in the neighborhood that I live in, and he, without hesitating, took his weapon and went to in, to see what's going on, and quickly understood when he got to the neighborhood that there are terrorists, overflow, uh, uh, um, you know, running rampant, running, you know, running around the neighborhood, killing people, trying to kill people. And he and friends, this was all extemporaneous, improvised, engaged the terrorists. Uh, At one point, when they needed to find out where the terrorists are, they were in an armored protected vehicle. They would hear reports of a terrorist in point X. They would drive there to provoke them into firing so they would know now, okay, that's where they are. It turns out that he there was fighting right by our building where we live, where where he engaged the the terrorists. As they're driving in Ofakim, they receive reports of a a very serious situation in Kibbutz Re'im. Kibbutz Re'im is where the rave party that we've all heard about was taking place. And he heard that there were people who were defenseless and that we didn't have any forces there. And again, without thinking twice, he and two friends said, let's go. And they went and they were among the first on the scene to to engage the Hamas fighters. When they first got there, they thought that what was an army jeep, an IDF, Israel Defense Forces Army Jeep, they thought it was an IDF jeep. It turned out it was terrorists. So they got fired on when they arrived. They had RPGs fired at them. Michael estimates he's seeing 50 dead bodies. There was a bomb shelter, in which was full of burnt bodies, apparently into which the Hamas members had thrown a Molotov cocktail or a grenade. Their vehicle is hit. He takes cover in an open field, and to say the least, it's a frightening situation. They continue to engage the terrorists. He and his fellow fighters would He's, Michael is in what's called Magav, the border police, but he was previous to that in Naha, which is an infantry unit. So he had also received training for these types of situations. He's firing at the terrorists. The other person is bandaging, taking care of the wounded. They take turns. He's there. you know. He knows how to handle wounds. And this was went on t- until the late afternoon, and he with his friends his few friends managed to push back a force of 20 fighters mm. to say i don't have words to express the the pride that i feel in my heart when i think of how my son responded at the moment of truth mm. i also don't have words to express my gratitude that he returned unharmed yes his story is one of many. There are many people, thank God, like Michael Tepper, who were filled with us, who, when the time came, went out, and without thinking twice, put their lives on the line to protect all of us.
0: He took heroic action, is what he did. Absolutely, and and, and let me say that. Um, Thank you for sharing these stories. I myself am so happy that you and your family survived this. I mean, I've written about my own connection to the Jewish people over the course of my life. Um, from the time I was a teenager and friends to my work life. Um, and now this, relationship I have with you and two Jewish organizations, I have been to Israel on several occasions. The first time where you invited me to give a keynote address at a conference um, at uh, Ben, ben- Gurion University. It was a presentation on Lionel Hampton's King David Suite. Lionel Hampton, great jazz vibe is someone who loved the Jewish people. I followed up that presentation and gave a mini um, version of the same presentation at APAC in New York and then APAC in D.C.
1: But, you know, uh, Greg, we should, maybe we should also say a word about Lionel, da- Lionel Hampton's King David suite. Ham, Lionel Hampton tells a story, right, that he, he met with the chief rabbi, uh, Rabbi Herzog, and he wanted to talk with, to Rabbi Herzog about the Bible. But, Robert Herzog, it-
0: but Rabbi Herzog... <laughs> but Rabbi... Wanted to talk to him about Boogie Woogie, <laughs> baby.
1: <laughs>
0: That's yes. a great story. Yeah. yeah. But I'd, I'd like you to close, if you wouldn't mind, with, with sharing a bit about some of the dynamics in the Middle East that isn't often brought up when they talk about the Israeli... Palestine conflict, and of course, in this case, is, it's uh, Hamas uh, versus Israel, right? Um, but there's a dy- there's a there's a dynamic in terms of Islam, right? That I think needs to be discussed,
1: right? I think Western intellectual, uh, uh, the, the the intellectual layman, lay woman, lay person of the West would do well. I think it's it, essential at this point; it's imperative to re- to understand that there is a civil war taking place within islam There's a civil war taking place within islam and the iranians together with hamas are trying to lead to to take the lead as the steadfast the 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 uh the leaders of the steadfast resistance movement but to step back a second and to to look at, at the larger context you you had um resistance to what right so let me explain what i mean so you have you you have um between 2013 and 2017 the, the rise of isis and isis um was the flowering say the full flowering at that time of a kind of radical extremist interpretation of islam and they didn't come out of nowhere in 2013 the roots go back to the beginning of the 20th century some scholars would posit it in the medieval period some but you have it with the founding of what's called the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt and Muslim Brotherhood organizations have given birth to an interpretation of Islam which is called political Islam or Islamism according to political Islam uh, particularly as articulated uh, in it in the most arguably the most uh, um, I learned this from Professor Abbas Milani at Stanford University, the 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 uh, the most consequential Islamist thinker of the 20th century, Sayed Qutub, who uh, his vision of the world is that only those who who subscribe to this puritanical and purest interpretation of Islam are the real Muslims, and to make a long story short, it gives them a, a blank check to kill everybody else.
0: Now, by the way, that sounds like a very extreme statement. One thing to put it in context, I think it's important for you, because I, I have been boning up, you know, under your your guidance and direction. It's important to mention that this gentleman didn't think that those who profess to practice Islam were real Muslims.
1: Right. That's an important thing. That's an important point, and that's why you see a lot of these uh, Al Qaeda and 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 and. Uh, and ISIS, they had no qualms about murdering masses of Muslims because in, oh, as right.
0: you, See, there we, when you said everybody, people say everybody,
1: including Muslims, because in their eyes, they are so-called Muslims. If you do not, from, from, from Kutub's perspective, if you are not actively applying the Sharia, which is God's law, if you are not actively applying the Sharia, right? Then, uh, um, by definition, by definition, you're not a real Muslim, and that, and you, and you're leaving the world exposed to human constructions and human fantasies, and it's from that perspective your responsibility to advance this vision of Islam. Now, this is extremely superficial. In, and these are subjects that people study for years, and it's, and there's the entire rich tradition of Islam behind it with texts and interpretations, but. It's going to have to suffice for now for, for for establishing that there is a camp in the Islamic world, Arab Islamic world especially, that with some differences, these are they belong to this camp. Uh, the leader of Iran, Ali Khamenei, who has been in power for thirty three years in the Middle East, he translated four of Kuttub's books into Persian. He himself. There's one camp in the Middle East which subscribes to the Islamist interpretation, the political Islam, the political Islamist interpretation of Islam, which is radical extremist, and and whenever it has the opportunity, has it's proven itself in practice to be murderous, and 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 uh, inhuman, often.
0: Within but, Islam, what is the counterstatement? So you've had what is another camp. So you
1: you had beginning in 2013. You had from a, a very respected scholar named Abdullah bin Bayah, uh, a counter school that was articulated, which was, which then uh, received its first form in 2016 called the Marrakesh Declaration, which was uh, issued in Morocco, anchoring the, the rights of minorities within Islam. Uh, the governments back in 2000, already in 2013 and 14, the governments of Morocco, the United Arab Emirates, and other governments were sponsoring and advancing this tolerant vision of Islam from within the sources of Islam. These are not liberals. It's important to point out who are coming and using Islamic texts to advance a liberal ideology. These are pious Muslims coming who, to interpret Islam according to what they believe to be the truer principles of Islam and the Islamists as the distortion, anchoring the rights of minorities within Islam. In 2019, the Makkah Declaration by the Muslim World League under the leadership of Muhammad al-Issa likewise articulated this tolerant vision of Islam. Muhammad al isa who has led um, uh, groups to Auschwitz, uh, has taken the lead in, in interfaith, interfaith dialogue, uh, um Sheikh Dr Al-Issa has been honored by the combat anti-semitism movement he's been honored by the American Sephardi Federation i should add that we at the American Sephardi Federation have been working with the uh the tolerant camp in islam dating back to 2015 and 16 Jason Guberman the uh the executive director of the American Sephardi F- Federation was far sighted enough to realize that these people want to establish these relationships with Jewish organizations because they are trying to chart out a new path today for Islam in the world. Against this background, you need to see the establishment of the Abraham Accords and the reestablishment of diplomatic relations between Israel and Morocco. The second time
0: I was in Israel, which was actually a year ago, October of 2022, was when I saw... And it was a gathering brought together by CAM, Combat Antisemitism Movement. I was there for that and there with my wife, Jewel, to give a jazz leadership project workshop for CAM's senior leadership um, and and advisors. And that's when I saw in that gathering, in in the ballroom, that evening that we gathered, uh, it was a formal affair, how there were representatives from Christian churches, how they were representatives from Islamic organizations. And I saw how CAM, and I know as you, extending from what you're saying about ASF, American Sephardi Federation, works with, they're, they're not an exclusivist organization. They are trying to be more ecumenical with those who are willing to be open and more pluralistic and the way that they engage with other people and other religions right. so I think it's very important to say that also Ab-
1: absolutely. what happened when I was saying resist just getting back to, to, to the resistance, the the Iranians in a sense, the tolerant camp and the intolerant camp within the context of the civil war within Islam, the tolerant camp and the intolerant camp are fighting themselves in a sense via Israel by attacking the Jews in the way that they did and striking out and note. They, the, the Hamas fighters were in white pickup trucks wearing all black. They looked like ISIS. If you're a smart, sophisticated Muslim who subscribes to this view, it's clear that ISIS appealed to a large audience and they want that audience. And this attack with the, which required Iranian assistance with Iranians and Hamas was a, as it were, statement of those who resist the transformation of the Middle East into a pluralistic re- region. The forces of, with the Marrakesh Declaration and the Mecca, uh, the Charter of Mecca, and with the Moroccans and the Emiratis and the Bahrainis, and, and w- w- the possibility that they are trying to create is the possibility of a pluralistic Middle East. The Islamist supremacists are resisting that because for them, that is a dereliction of duty it's giving over the world to the to the the forces of the devil it's you you're neglecting the propagation of god's law and they see themselves as as having a a right to res, uh, having an, a, a need to resist and it's played out through attacks on israel and the jews so that's okay that's point 1 yes. well, well, with your permission i'd like to make a point about israel also and this is a point that I think that Israel, that that uh, um, that Western societies would do well to, to take as a, as a warning. Politics in various countries are splitting along partisan lines and calcifying, and and loyalty as a political virtue is becoming increasingly important, and it's beginning to trump other considerations. The Israeli, I'm an Israeli patriot. I live here in this country. My children serve in the armed forces. I'm an expat American. I love deeply what America, what I learned from America and absorbed from America, and I want to see that thrive. And I feel connected to that as well. And I fear for polities, a healthy politics in both countries. And what you've had in Israel for the past nine months is an exercise of incompetence. No one should fool themselves. Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, in order to survive politically, appointed a self-evidently incompetent man to the position of a minister of public security. His name is Itamar Ben-Gvir. He hasn't run a hot dog stand. And Benjamin Netanyahu appointed him to be a minister in his government. That's giving a kosher certification to incompetence. Him, Ben-Gvir, being in government, was an act of incompetence, that's uh, uh, um, recognizing incompetence, appointing him is itself an act of incompetence. The judicial overhaul then that was tearing the country apart until Saturday was pushed forward and advanced in an incompetent way. It was wholly incompetent way. Members who support the idea in theory, and I support the idea in theory, have been saying that. And... This war, clearly, the the way that we were surprised, it's clear that incompetence has played a role here as well. For a country like Israel, excellence is a necessity. We can't afford, we're not a big country, we can't afford incompetence. But in any case, those in the United States and those in Israel, we can't, you, 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 your political considerations, there needs to be a clear line, the vision of the public good, Political loyalty, when it enables incompetence into government, you will pay a price. And unfortunately, we are seeing that price right now. Wow.
0: Well, I'd like to close by saying that we also need to look at and draw clear lines between political protest, between activism, uh, between anything from a negotiated diplomatic orientation an out-and-out barbarism that any decent human society, whether traditional, modern, postmodern, needs to acknowledge it as such. What happened in Israel was barbarous, evil, wrong, full stop. Yes. As you've as you've told me, Aryeh, because we anticipated this issue, not the issue of Israel being attacked, but the issue of having to deal with Israeli politics being a part of the Omni American Future Project. And by extension, our podcast here straight ahead. And what you've told me is that look, we can discuss anything. We can have a rational conversation. We can disagree. We can agree to disagree. But what is sacrosanct is Israel's right to exist. Right. And what I think people lose sight of or don't even are even really aware of when you talk about these forces in the Middle East and this internal battle in Islam that there are those who before 1947 there were those who have been dedicated to the destruction of the Jewish people and now the Israeli state, and they have been dedicated to this again before 1947. Right, before 48. Before, so mm-hmm. I, I, I'm sorry. Thank you. Before 48. Thank you so much. Yeah. So I, I really think it's important for people to draw clearly. Look, and I also want to say this, my own support of you and my other friends and colleagues who who are in Israel does not mean that I don't feel anything for the Palestinian people doesn't mean that i don't acknowledge that their lives have been circumscribed in a way that is in many ways unjust and that they are oppressed but you got to take a look at not only the restrictions put on by israel what about their own leadership hamas what about them and their responsibility for sure what about them what about them having you know children uh, child labor, to build those tunnels? What about them ha- using their own people as shields? It's cowardly. I mean, and there's examples. They're cowards.
1: Examples
0: after example after example. Yeah. Okay. They're cowards.
1: They've got all the money. So they, they, they have- Hamas is a very wealthy organization. They've got a ton of money. They've got a- lots of support. We on, which is an Indian, they put a, a Indian uh, media network, they did a, a very good journalistic uh, um, study of how much money Hamas has. They don't use... That money to build bomb shelters. They don't use that money to build hospitals. They don't use that money to anything productive and life giving. He says they are agents of destruction.
0: It seems to me that that statement is a very good place for us to end this special edition of Straight Ahead, the Omni American podcast, focusing on the atrocities that happened in Israel this past weekend of the of this taping. And I'd like to end by saying that i hope and pray that somehow some way that this conflict will not extend so long or or into an interminable amount of time because the level of death and destruction on both sides and of course israel is a stronger military they've they've even though they always talk about the imbalance uh there's always been Considering the level of power that Israel has, a level of restraint. And I am concerned that what has occurred this weekend by Hamas will cause untold misery in this area. So I just pray and hope that somehow Hamas can be taken down sooner rather than later. And I say that because of what they represent it is civilization versus barbarism. What they did was clear example of barbarism. What else are you gonna call it? What else should you call it? So I end with that more hopeful, though I think realistic uh, note. We hope that this has been informative, both in terms of the personal experience and the experience of Arye's neighbors, his family, his sons. Um, and we also hope that providing you a perspective on some of the other dynamics, the intra-Islamic dynamics will shed some light beyond what you usually hear um, when they talk about um, Israel uh, and Palestine. So thank you all for your time and attention and uh, we'll be back soon.
1: Thank you for listening to Straight Ahead, the Omni-American podcast. Subscribe
0: and leave a review wherever you listen to the podcast and fight for a future where the many can join as one against bigotry.